All right, summer's over, right? Anybody happy about summer being over? Some parents are here probably pretty happy about summer being over, just thinking, right? Anybody go anywhere incredible this uh, past summer? Good times? Good trip? Okay, good. Uh, So I've been hearing uh, years, many, many years, because I grew up surfing, uh, people have been telling me, you've got to go to Costa Rica, you've got to go to Costa Rica. It's incredible, you've got to go to Costa Rica. And uh, so I thought about it and n- never, never have done it. And um, actually, my mother-in-law is sitting over here. Uh, we, we, sometimes we, I know you're going to, this is crazy, right? But sometimes we go on vacation with my uh, mother-in-law and my father-in-law. But, um, uh, you know, my mother-in-law's involvement in, uh, in the vacation, my involvement in the vacation, I spend many, many hours making sure all the logistics are planned out, right, perfectly, because if not, I'm going to hear about it. My, mo- my mother-in-law's uh, part of it is, when are you going to tell me the details so I can put it on my calendar? Uh, so we, we try to get everything right, and we went on vacation a couple years ago, and she said, well, when are you going to take me to Costa Rica? And so anyway, this past year, we said, this is it. We're going we're to go, to, to go to Costa Rica. And we almost bowed out, but, man, she really pressed me into the corner when I was getting ready to bow out. She said, she said, look, if we'll go to Costa Rica, I'll pay for the place we stay. Well, I'm such a cheapskate that there is just, there's just no way I could say no to that. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's no way I could say no. And so we went to Costa Rica, right? And uh, she hated it. <laughs> she said, why did you bring me to this place? Right? There she is. She's sitting right over there, the queen. I gave her the title queen years ago, and I thought it was a derogatory thing, but she loved it. And now she tells everybody the queen. Anyway, so the queen, uh, she kept sitting in the back seat because the roads, you know, if you've ever been to Costa Rica, oh my gosh, it's like riding a rodeo, man. It's boom, 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 all over the place. And she just the whole time, when are you going to get me out of this country? I'm never coming back. So um, we had some rough times in Costa Rica. Okay? I broke a rib surfing. Yes. I know. You know how hard it is to lay on a surfboard with a broken rib? Very difficult, but I did it because uh, I wasn't giving up, and I did it like the second day I was there. I broke a surfboard, which cost me m- some money. That's not, that's not a good thing. Um, but I loved it, and I can't stop thinking about Costa Rica. And you want to know why? I'm in awe of Costa Rica. I want to go back so badly because my, my uh, parents had a house down in Florida. Actually, was on the beach, and so because um, my dad had a business down there. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, we were in Florida as a little kid growing up. That was it. I woke up every morning because I was addicted to surfing. And I always did the same thing. Here I am, like 12 years old, getting up at 5.30 in the morning, doing the same thing, running out to the deck to look for what? Are there any waves? And what did I see? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Morning after morning after morning. Very depressing. It kind of scarred me as a kid. And uh, so, so we go, we go to Costa Rica, and I, I, I became a little kid all over again. You know what I did? I woke up at 5.30 in the morning, and they had this little bicycle, the place we stayed, about 300 yards from the beach, they had this little bicycle. It was, like, it was like way too small for me. It was like a red bike with the big fenders and the big tires and a little basket up front. You know, it was too small. I looked like Pee Wee Herman, down to look to see if there's waves. And I get down there, and oh my gosh, there's waves. There's phenomenal waves. And I just stood there in awe. I said, I can't believe this place. Well, because of my history and where I grew up, I'm thinking, this is the one day. I got to get out there. If I don't get out there now, there won't be a tomorrow. There won't be waves tomorrow. You know what? I went down the second day, and there were waves. And the third day and the fourth day, every day that we were there, there were waves. They just kept rolling in. And I am just mesmerized by Costa Rica. I can't wait to go back, thinking about it all the time. This morning, I want to talk about being in awe of Jesus. 
How do you get to be in awe of Jesus? How does that, how does that happen? And I feel like through this series on Ephesians that God has shown me something that I have never seen before, and I don't know how I've missed it. Well, I do know how I've missed it. Because the story of Jesus Christ is so incredibly counterintuitive to the way we as human beings think that we don't have any context for it. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning, um, I think has all the potential in the world, it did for the Apostle Paul, to completely change the way that you relate to God. It has to do with your desire for an encounter with God, which all of us do. It has a lot to do with the way you relate to the world, with what you see Jesus Christ doing in the world. It has so much to do with being spiritually alive. And since that's the case, and much of it depends on prayer, let's stop and just say a prayer real quick and ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for this letter that uh, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Lord, help us to understand, grant us understanding today of what these words mean and how it impacts our relationship with you and the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to read uh, to you. You'll find it on the back of the blue bulletin. You'll see on the screen behind me, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 to 5. There are two words in this little couple sentences here that just, boom, all of a sudden jumped off the page at me. And here's what it says. Surely, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. But Paul uses that word mystery in other places quite often. And every single time he uses the word mystery, he is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something that most people say, particularly if they've been in church for a while, oh yeah, I got that. And that's the simple stuff. That's the easy stuff. Right? I got the gospel. Let's get on to something else. I got, I got, I got the gospel. Right? So he says, that is the mystery made known to me by how? By a revelation. There's the other word that just jumped off the page at me. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit. It's been revealed by the Spirit. This is, this is incredibly important. This has so much to do, actually, with even what is on our TV screens today, a CNN or whatever other news source you watch reports things that are going on, and there's contentions. It has so much to do with the way we view the world, the way we view God. What Paul has said right here, let me tell you about these two words. First of all, mystery. I love a mystery. Anybody love a mystery? Right? You, you love to watch or you love to read books, mystery books. I mean, they're just, abs- I just love it. It makes my mind work. I try to figure things out. You know, it's, it's awesome. I love mystery movies. Love mystery movies. They're just awesome. Love to watch it and figure it out. And we watch a mystery movie in, 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 in my house. There's a number of people in my house, and there's one person in my house. Then we watch the mystery movie. Like, they'll say, wait a minute, what did they say? And I'm like, you can't talk. You can't talk. Does anybody, is anybody with me? You can't, look, if you can't figure it out, you go back and you watch it another time, but you're messing the experience up. I'm, I'm in it. And they said, well, you could, this person, this person says, well, you just stop it. You can't stop it. You can't break the moment. If you break the moment, mm, it's just no good. Okay. So I don't get to watch as many mysteries as I'd like to watch mysteries because, you know what I'm saying? Because, all right, that's all I'm going to say. 
But I love mysteries because I try to figure it out and it makes me feel good to solve the mystery. It's awesome. And I need you to know something. In the English language, a mystery is something that we can solve. In the Greek language, the, what's used right here is mystery is something you cannot solve. I need you to write that down. This is very key. A mystery is something you cannot solve. So what is he saying? He's saying the basic story of who Jesus Christ is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his story. What he's basically saying is that there's nobody on this planet that can understand what is the one basic simple thing about Jesus Christ. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so true. When I talk to people both inside the church and outside the church and I say, can you tell me what is Christianity all about? What I hear back so often is so far from what Christianity is, it's unbelievable. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Paul, you're absolutely right. A mystery is something we cannot figure out. We cannot solve. The other word, revelation. What's up with the word revelation? Revelation takes an act of God. That's what a revelation is. That's what the word means. It takes an act of God. It takes a miracle. I want to figure it out. I'm a smart person. I should be able to figure it out. I got it. I got it. I got the gospel. I got it. Nobody has the gospel. What Paul's saying, Paul's saying nobody has the gospel. Foolishness. The gospel is foolishness to every single person. Unless the gospel is foolishness to you, you have no idea what the gospel is. That's crazy, Paul. He says to understand who Jesus Christ is takes a revelation, an act of God, and nobody can figure it out. Now, we might get moments in time where we get a piece of understanding, but there's so much more that is there. This really began to intrigue me. And so the thought hit me. I need Jesus to reveal to me that I need Jesus. Are you serious? I mean, I always thought, you know, it was up to me to figure out that it was all up to him. It was up to me to figure it out that is all. Because people say, okay, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel of Christ means it's 100% Jesus and 0% me. He's done it all. So it's up to me to figure out that it's all up to him. Do you see how messed up that is? So I need Jesus to reveal to me that I need Jesus. Without a revelation, it's just one big mystery. Now, what does this do? What does this do to us? I tell you what it does. It really raises the bar on prayer. That's what it does. Because if that's what we're left to, if I don't have an understanding of this, if, 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 if my spiritual vitality, if me feeling that I have been made, that sensing the spirit at work in my life, being in awe of God, if I'm going to be in awe of God, then God has to open my eyes. A miracle has to take place. If that doesn't happen, it's just one big mystery. If that doesn't happen, all I'm doing is obeying some rules. That's all there is. And there's, so this is why Paul probably begins the book of Ephesians off with Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. This is what he says. I keep asking. Well, what's he mean by that? He said, I keep praying. I just keep praying and praying. I'm praying for you. What are you praying about, Paul? What is it that we need? What is it the church at Ephesus needed, needed so much? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you what? The spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation. Oh, my goodness. These people are Christians. They're already in the church. They're Christian in the church. And he's saying, you know what? You need a revelation. You need an ongoing revelation. I keep praying and praying and praying. So you have an ongoing re uh, revelation. Because you know what happens if you don't have an ongoing revelation? You know what happens if God doesn't open your eyes? You know what happens if you don't say, hey, God, I can't figure this out? It's a mystery. I'll never solve it myself. I'll never, I'll never educate myself in your word. I'll never behave myself in your word enough to figure this whole thing out. It's going to take a miracle from you. It's going to take an act of God. You know what Paul says? If, if we don't do that, we'll just we'll dry up. We either never get it or we'll get it, 
and then fall back like the church in Galatia did and just be spiritually dry. And I talk to people all the time. And people usually talk to me about one of two destinations. Either I am just completely spiritually dead or I'm completely spiritually dry. Much, as according to polls, of people who attend church will say, I'm spiritually stuck, which is another way of saying I'm completely spiritually dry. And Paul is saying the only way around that is to have an ongoing revelation where God opens our eyes because we cannot figure out ourselves. Now, think about this. You go through biblical history and you go through church history for the last 2,000 years, and here's what you know to be true if you study it. Every great move of God where people were having this revelation, where people were coming alive spiritually, where actually they're coming so alive spiritually that, that society is dramatically, cha- dramatically changed. Social transformation. You think about today, America has some huge mega churches. What we're in need of is a social transformation. So we don't have an awakening. You'll know. No one will have to tell you, oh my gosh, there's an awakening. No one's going to have to tell you that. All of a sudden you're going to see massive social changes. Do you think our world is ripe for massive social changes? God says when he visits us, it's like water. It's like water to a dry and weary land. We are a dry and weary land with the troubles we have going on in our world. We are a dry. And some of us personally today, I bet many of us personally, are a dry and weary land. We need God. And so what's it going to take? It's going to take a visitation of God, this revelation that he's talking about here. And we're to pray for it. This is why Paul He's praying that would happen. So every great move of God is preceded by this great move. He says, I keep asking that the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what? So so you can do what? I need a revelation to do what? To know him better. Like I'm not going to know God better unless I have a revelation, an act of God in my life. God has to open my eyes. I can't open my own eyes. I can't open my own eyes. Do you all know what Jesus' favorite miracle was? And what I mean by favorite, the one that he did more than any other miracle? The opening of blind eyes. Now think about that. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and is an incomparably great power for us who believe. Every great move of God is preceded by a great move of prayer. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, meaning no redemptive revelation, we perish. We spiritually dry up. Do you find yourself at a place where you're in awe of God? I just want to say this morning, if, if you think that just going to church, and you should go to church, I'm glad you do go to church. I'm, I'm totally glad you do. You read the Bible, um, you study, you behave, all those kind of things. Uh, if you think that that is going to bring you, right, this revelation. It won't. It'll put you in the right atmosphere for it, but we need God to act, and therefore it raises the bar on prayer right through the roof because I can't open my own heart, and I can't open your heart. This is what Paul is trying to say here. So Acts chapter 9, this is probably why the Bible gives us this incredible story about the apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew the Bible. He knew the Bible so very well. Ruth is coming to speak, so don't get nervous. We don't want you to get up and walk on the stage, but she's coming here to speak, and I know that, so it's okay. The Apostle Paul knew the Bible so very, very well, right? If you say, hey, Paul, can you tell me your favorite Bible verse? He would start with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and he would stop at the end of the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. That's where he would stop. He'd memorize the first five books of the Bible. Anybody done that yet? 
Me neither. I haven't even tried. That's incredible. He knew the Bible he, behavior. He had the behavior all down. There was one problem with Paul. Even though he knew so much of the Bible and his behaviors were all great, there was one problem. He was spiritually dead as a door now to his own admission. And so what happened in Acts chapter 9? He has a revelation. His eyes are open. God acts. The mystery was revealed in part to him, to his own admission. And that's what we're going to need because I can't make you be in all. I can't even make myself be in all. I need to humbly come before God and say, God, open my eyes. So Ruth is going to share with us something very important. So everybody, welcome Ruth. You have a mic? No, oh, it's okay. Ah, yes. We have the mic. Okay, wonderful. Again, here's Ruth. Okay. Wonderful, please. Thank you, Ruth, yeah, we for sharing. minor things. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Um, I, I came today to share my story, but I thought earlier it's actually God's story that I'm sharing. Um, I love how I heard the gospel. Heard being in quotes. It was unexpected and without any encumbrance. It was just me sitting down to read something uplifting to start my day rather than the news. I had no expectations or preconceived ideas of what would come from that other than feeling better as I went to work. But I think we all know that sometimes the unexpected surprises are just the most awesome. And my morning was truly life-changing. It was early in the morning, which is surprising to a couple people in the room who know me. I'm not a morning person. But I was, I was committed to doing this. And I had decided that I was going to read Ephesians. So I was reading in chapter 1 and verse 13. And the words came, and you also were included in Christ. And that's when the gospel suddenly became very personal to me. The word you was me. It was absolutely crystal clear. I was stunned totally beyond words, and I just stared at the page, and I knew unequivocally that I was hearing from God. I vividly remember sitting there just staring and wondering how the words could literally jump off the page, literally seeming alive, and just pure amazement and wonder. Words don't live, right? I mean, they're just words on a page, and yet they did. And trying to find the words to explain that is pretty difficult. <laughs> um, but after it settled in, I kept reading. And when I came to chapter 2, the second part of verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself, but a gift of God. That's when the tears started flowing. And I was truly humbled. I had never known that I needed to be truly humbled. Uh, it's an amazing story. It's a it's a private story, but what happens next? I did an intensive Bible study for several years. I even volunteered in their child portion of their ministry, which, by the way, got me up at 5 o'clock on Saturday mornings to go to leadership meetings. Um, I went on a missions trip. I was open to being called onto the mission field, and I found out that I was definitely not being called to be on the mission field. I felt instead that it was to live the gospel such that others might notice a difference in me. And I think they did, at least initially. But as the years went by, I got tired of Bible study. I felt I wasn't really learning a lot anymore, and I had it. I, didn't, I just didn't need to keep going. 
I began again to rely on myself, which I'm really very good at. My mother's in the audience. She taught me how to do that. <laughs> um, the power of my moment diminished, and it got diluted by time and by life. The gospel is so simple and so pure and so unencumbered, and yet it isn't. To fully grasp it and hold on to it is beyond my ability. My logical, rational brain takes over, and rather than partnering with God and asking for his help and letting him lead, I run solo. But how do we follow Jesus without getting into the rules? I'm not sure I even know what that looks like, especially when I'm around other Christians or even myself. And that's where it gets all messed up. Living in the pure gospel is anything but easy because it's not intuitive, it's not rational, it's not practical. It's often just the opposite, and it is not my natural inclination. And that's what makes it so hard. So why did I decide to do this today? I actually struggle with sharing this because when I have in the past, I get people staring at me blankly, not saying anything, even if I'm talking to other Christians. It's clear that I've not succeeded in sharing my experience in any rich way that moves my audience anywhere as nearly as I was moved, and that can be very frustrating because I so want them to understand, to catch a glimpse of what I'm talking about. But when John asked me if I wanted to share this, I found that I did, even if I hear crickets. Why? Because it's the story of my life that I love to share the most, and yet it's the one I share the least. Because it's my prayer that anyone hearing it either has or will have a similar experience such that they will understand what it feels like to truly be free. And because I really just needed to experience it again myself, even if just for a few moments. Thank you. Wonderful. Uh, what Ruth shared actually is incredibly important and very, very deep. Well, she just mentioned a minute ago crickets. So here's, here's my experience with talking to people. I talk to so many people uh, who are trying to figure this out. And they're like, you know, I don't get it. I see these people and they're like, oh, you know, all for Jesus and I just don't understand it. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Exactly. Can't. And you're grappling with all the issues, struggling with faith, struggling with all the points. What about this in the Bible? What about that in the Bible? You know what? What Paul is saying is all those things should be discussed. I love to discuss all those things. But we will never understand who Jesus Christ is without an act of God. I talk to a lot of people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And they say, you know, I just, I feel so stuck. Would you understand the gospel? Oh, yeah, man, I got that. I got it. That's simple. It takes an act of God. So I want to go through a couple things here real quick, just two things that are really important that could be a life changer. Could be a life changer. It's not going to be excessively exciting but it will change our world according to what the Apostle Paul says. It'll be like the Spirit of God in a dry and weary land. It has 100% to do with God and 0% to do with you and me. 
okay? So here's the first thing. How does the revelation start? Acknowledge your need. There's the fill in the blank. Acknowledge your need. My habit is, is, you know, I get up every morning and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure God out. I'm going to figure out how to live holy, you know. I already, I, I already know that I already know I need to change. I know that. John, you need to change. I know I need to change. I know I need to be better. That doesn't put me in awe of Jesus Christ. My habit is to try to figure things out on my own. And so Apostle Paul talks to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this is masterful. Let me give you some excerpts from chapter 1 and 2, verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's cross. So what he's saying here is that basically this. He's calling the gospel, that's the message of the cross, he's calling it foolishness. Is it foolishness to you? Because he's saying that is foundational, that the message of the cross is completely counterintuitive. And so unless it's foolishness to you, then you're not grasping it. It has to be foolishness to you is what he's saying, or you're not grasping it. It should be foolishness to you. You're not grasping because our minds, our human minds have zero context for who Jesus Christ is. What we do when we hear about Jesus Christ is we immediately put, lump him in with what every single religion in the world does. And people inside the church and outside the church say to this to me all the time. People who've been in church all their life. Basically, Christianity is telling you to be good. When actually, basically, Christianity is telling you the exact opposite. So it's totally confused, completely confused, and we won't understand it unless it's foolishness and we receive this revelation from God. And what we do when we read passages all the time and we read like Paul saying so-and-so is spiritually dead, blah, 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 we think immediately, okay, okay, if I just obey the Ten Commandments more, if I obey all the rules in the Bible, then I'll come spiritually alive, ha-ha, because I put it in my context that I understand. You know, the Bible never calls the Ten Commandments a mystery. They're not a mystery. Very simple. Do this, be good, all right. Do this, go to heaven. Do this, go to heaven. That makes sense. Let me give you an example. When we hear somebody tell us something and we don't understand it and it's counterintuitive, we immediately put it in our brain in a way that we can understand it. There's a lady around this church many years ago uh, when the church first began. She's kind of famous. Her name was Maudie Donovan. Oh, my gosh, she was a trip. I introduced Maudie one day. She's an older woman. I introduced her one day to my friend Raul. Raul's name is R-A-U-L. Raul. Can you all say Raul? Okay, I said, hey, Maudie, here's Raul. And she looked at him and got this strange look on her face, and she said, Rolades. <laughs> Rolades? Rolades? Where do you get Rolades from Raul? She'd never heard of a name like Raul before, so she had to meet in her brain says, ah, put it in the context that you can understand. Rolades. I said, no, 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 no. sorry, maybe I misspoke. Uh, his name is Raul. Strange look on the face again. She said, El Dorado. El Dorado! Elder what? She knows Rolades and she knows El Dorado. She doesn't know Raul. And when you read the Bible many times, you feel, because it's the only context you and I understand, we feel it says, be good. Work your way to heaven. That's not what it's saying. It's the only, it's foolishness. Is the story of Jesus Christ foolishness to you? Is it counterintuitive? I hope it is. I hope it is. All right, Paul goes on, verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? What is he saying? We're smart people. Hey, my goodness, we're Washingtonians. This is going to be really difficult for us. We're type A, high-achieving Washingtonians. We'll figure it out, including God. Have you ever met somebody who had God figured out? 
Paul says, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Paul says that we see through a glass darkly and we don't have anything figured out. You know, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 that the angels, the angels in heaven long to look into the things that Jesus Christ did. You know what that's saying? The story of Jesus Christ, how he came down and he did everything and he sacrificed his life. He gave his perfect life for our unperfect life will never be perfect. It says they're standing up there around the water coolers of heaven with their jaws hanging wide open saying, oh my gosh. The angels of heaven who get to see the entire universe are in absolute awe by what Jesus Christ has done. Are you in awe of what Jesus Christ has done? I can't make you be in awe. I can't make me be in awe. It takes an act of God to open my eyes to the foolishness of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's completely counterintuitive. So he goes on and says this, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's because of Jesus that I am in Christ Jesus, what it says. You know, I work really hard to figure God out so then I can understand it's all about God. So it's all about me to figure out that it's all about God. Did you catch that? Isn't that the way our human brains think? It's all about me to figure out that it's all about God. That's basic gospel. Basic gospel, it's 100% Jesus and none of me. He did it all, I did nothing. So it's all about me to figure out it's all about him. That's counterintuitive. That's the way our brains think. Really, it's all about God and me humbling myself before him and acknowledging my need and say, God, I'll never figure this out. Every morning I need to wake up and say, God, I need a brand new revelation today of the glory of your gospel. Help me to understand. Reveal this mystery to me. I am absolutely never going to figure it out for myself. 1 Corinthians 2, verse uh, number 4 says, My message and my preaching were not wise with words and was not wise and with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What is Paul saying? He realized that he can't argue anybody into faith in Jesus Christ. You ever seen somebody try to argue somebody else into faith in Jesus Christ? It doesn't work too well. We can conform people to religion, but we can't transform them to have an experience. And this is what Paul is saying right here. We can't do it. That's why it really raises the bar on prayer because it takes an act of God in order for us to see. Uh, historian Dr. Bruce Shelley says this. Think of this. Think of this. Who would have ever thought of this before? Nobody's ever thought of this before. This is how counterintuitive it is. This is what he says. Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. You know, there's so much common with religions, so much basic in common. How come no other major religion in the world thought of God humiliating himself for us? Because we think, right? This is human thinking that I have to humiliate myself for God, that God's up there like the big judge, right? And then I got to grovel my way to God. Unless I get things just right, he's going to be mad at me. The fact that God would come down out of heaven and humiliate himself. How come no other religion thought of this? The humi- it's so counterintuitive, right? The Ten Commandments, never a mystery. The rules, I follow them. It's all good. But this revelation, have you had that revelation from God? Has God opened your eyes? 
God has put it on my heart like never before. You know what? I need to wake up every day and say, God, I can't see. I can't make myself see. I can't make myself see. Could you open my eyes today to see? Second point, make a list, put your name at the top. Make a list. This is like the oxygen mask, right? Like the oxygen mask on the airplane. We need it first before we pass it on. Other, so the Bible says we should pass it on to other people. We should share our relationship with you. Of course we should. Of course we should do that. But first, first, we need to have an understanding. First, our eyes need to be made open to Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, a story about Lydia. Very interesting. She's sitting with a whole group of people, and, the, and she's listening to a message the Apostle Paul is preaching, and yet she is the only one that it says God opened her heart. Isn't that interesting? God op- so everybody else heard the same message. Why is she the only one that received and believed and had this awakening? Well, she couldn't open her own heart. Paul couldn't open her heart. Who opened her heart? God, which really does what? It raises the level of prayer. So some of you have seen evangelism done bad. I've seen evangelism uh, done bad where it's forced, right? That we want to pass it on to other people and we force the situation. Uh, My community group is reading um, a book by Phil Jackson, the famous basketball coach. Um, Some of you probably don't know this. I didn't realize this. Both of his parents were pastors. Both of his parents were pastors. And you know what turned them off? They forced Christianity on him over and over and over and over again. You will believe this. You will live this way. And it so turned him off. I was at um, an event in my neighborhood. It was on a Sunday. It was on a Sunday night. It was in July. I remember this specifically because we always have leftover fireworks in my neighborhood, right? And so it was like for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, the kids come out and they, so there was about 40 or 50 of us out there in the cul-de-sac and setting off fireworks. And I was standing next to a guy who happened to be at Grace that morning. And we were talking, it was July, so we were talking about baseball. And one of the neighbor's relative was in town and they came in town and they came out and uh, started to talk to us. And it was really awkward because like we were talking about baseball and I think we said, yeah, yeah, so-and-so pitched the other night and he got to save. And this guy said, only Jesus can save. It was a little awkward, so, you know, next thing, yeah, so-and-so was up, they got the strikeout. You're going to strike out every time unless you get Jesus Christ in your life. Now, this guy knew I was a pastor, and I didn't know where all this was coming from. Uh, so, okay. And then he went into these kind of old, worn-out stories. He said, he said, you know, guys, there was this guy one time, and he heard a big flood was coming but he wasn't going to leave his house. He's just going to stay doing exactly what he was doing. all day. And, so, and so a sheriff's car came by to pick him up. The sheriff said, hey, get in the car. Flood's coming. The guy says, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here. Water rose, and then they sent a boat out. And the boat came by and said, get in the boat. You're going to die. He says, no, I'm good right here. And this guy's telling us the story. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Then the water rose so much, he got up on the roof of his house. And a helicopter came by and says, you better get on the helicopter. You're going to die. He says, I'm not going to stay right here. And then the guy died. He died. And this guy says, you better get your heart right with Jesus right now because the flood's coming. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I finally said to him, I said, hey, uh, you know I'm a pastor. And he didn't even phase him one bit. <laughs> you know, my buddy here, we were in church this morning. And he looks over at the fireworks and he said, the fire of God is coming down. 
And man, it's going to burn you. You ever seen something like that done before? Ever seen something like that where somebody feels like they really have to force the situation? All right, I want to tell you two quick stories. First, the music team's going to come out and they're going to, they're going to finish us off in a, in a song. And as they do, I, 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 I'm just reminded that this past year, I, I went on, I went on a missions trip to Guatemala. I went on vacation to Costa Rica, as you know. And so I've been around a lot of people and a lot of interpreters recently where I speak English. I don't speak any Spanish, everybody. Where I speak English and they speak Spanish, and so I need an interpreter to make sense. You ever seen somebody who is trying, like they speak English, and they're trying to speak to somebody of another language? You you know what happens, right? So my name is John. Strange look on their face. John! (laughs) Boom! It's going to go right into their brain, and they're going to completely understand it because John, right? You get stronger, you get harder, and then you, with your face, John! Now they understand. Do we do that with Jesus Christ? You ever seen somebody do that with Jesus Christ? You know why we do that? Why we force it? Why we're awkward? Why we look goofy? Why so many people say, such a turn off to me, I don't want any part of it? Because we don't believe what the Bible says. The Bible says it's a mystery. And we ought to put a whole lot more time into praying than we do forcing. We need an interpreter, and that interpreter is the Holy Spirit. Sure, we should talk to people about. Sure, we should talk to people, but we should also know that there's absolutely no pressure on us because we can't open their eyes. Paul couldn't open Lydia's eyes. He's the greatest Christian that's ever lived. He couldn't open her eyes. God had to open her eyes. You can't open anybody's eyes. I wish somebody would go and tell these people who are going around trying to force Jesus on people. You doesn't matter what you say. You will never open somebody's heart. It takes an act of God. It's a revelation. It's a mystery that we can't understand. We can't understand it at all. One last story. For about a year, God's put uh, put on my heart. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's a prayer walk. I don't even know what that... I mean, other than walking and praying, I have no education on prayer walking. What is that? But go out. Prayer walk. And I've resisted it. Uh, but I've done some of it. Uh, about three, four months ago, I just, ah, I should go and do a really long prayer walk. It's so strong. I couldn't get away from it. I put it off for months and months and months. God, God I, I got better things to do. You know, I can write a sermon and try to persuade people that Jesus Christ is their Savior, right? I could, uh, you know, I don't need to be going out prayer walk. I'd be counseling people, do something like that. I don't have time for this. Finally, after months of hounding me, I did it. This is a three-hour walk around Arlington. Our office is up in Boston, went down Washington Boulevard, all the way down George Mason Drive, over to Columbia Pike, up Columbia Pike, back to Washington. It took me three hours. It's a very long walk. And I didn't make big fanfare. Nobody knew I was doing it. I didn't even tell my wife I was doing it. I just, I'm doing it. I don't like carry a big cross and put a sign, you know, a t-shirt. I'm prayer walking. Uh, follow me on the, I didn't do it. Just very, you know, nobody, I just did it. I just did it. And I want you to know this. I want you to know this. Because sometimes you feel like God's impressing you with something. You're like, well, if I'm, God is impressing me with something, I'll have no doubts. I want you to know I was filled with doubts. I started down Washington Boulevard, and the whole time I'm praying, one second, next second, I'm saying, this is the stupidest thing in the world. I am wasting my time. This is so dumb. I go down Washington, I turn left onto George Mason Drive. I'm walking down George Mason Drive. This is important to the story. I get to the intersection of George Mason and Wilson Boulevard, right? There's a McDonald's right there. And I'm almost to the intersection, and I hear somebody scream out behind me, on your left. I knew it was a biker, right? And so, uh, you know, hang on, okay? So uh, what I do? I turn this way, leaving the left open. 
leaving the left open. Okay, I turned this way. They weren't on my left. They're dead at me, 10 feet away, barreling down. Oh my gosh. What's, what is up? Hey, bicyclist, what's, what's up with you? Why the frustration? Why is there so much frustration amongst bicyclists? Is it the little seat that you sit on? Is it frustrating? I mean, is that the problem? So I turn and I leave the left open. They're right at me. So I jump back over here to the side and they immediately turn at me. So I jump back again and then they have the nerve, the audacity while I'm out prayer walking to say, I usually pass on the left. There's so many things I wanted to say in that moment, but I was prayer walking. I couldn't say any of them. So I didn't say a word. I just kept walking. My prayers were a little spicy for the next 10 minutes, you know, man. I was already frustrated. I thought I was wasting my time. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I take this three-hour walk. I get back to the office, and I, don't, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, I didn't even tell my wife about it. I wondered for three weeks, what in the world was that about? I could have been in the office writing a sermon to persuade you that Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and life so that you would receive Christ, right? That's what I could have been doing. So three weeks later, I'm here at church. We have this thing called Next Step. It's basically lunch downstairs for brand new people. I get down there late. There's five tables. They're all filled. There's one seat open. I sit in the one seat that's open. Halfway through the lunch, the lady turns to me and she says, hey, three weeks ago, were you on George Mason Drive? I had met you through a mutual friend 15 years ago. And when I saw you, I felt like God said, go to church. You can't make yourself in awe of God. And you can't make anybody else in awe of God. It's a mystery that you and I will never figure out. It takes an act of God. It's called a revelation. You want genuine excitement and awe in your life. You want to experience the power of the Spirit. It is going to take a revelation from God. And that means we have to humble ourselves for God and say, God, I cannot figure this out. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. God, I can't figure this out. It's up to you. Would you open my eyes. Jesus loved to open eyes more than anything else he does. Let's stand and sing this song with the music team. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.